I don't know about you guys, but these days I've been really struggling to find a news source that I, I feel like I can really trust. I even heard the other day that you can't believe everything you read on Facebook. <laughs> are you kidding me? If you can't trust Facebook, who are you going to trust? I, I just, I don't, I don't get it. I did finally find a news source that, that seems to just kind of just speak it as it really is. It's called the Babylon Bee. I don't know if you're familiar with them. They're, they're supposed to be a, a satirical news site. In other words, they openly, they admit right up front that they make up their news. They just, you know, make stories up. And what's weird is that so often their stories end up being how things really are. And they do have fact checkers, and I've actually found their fact checkers to be rather helpful, at least in my personal life. Yeah. What's really weird is when they, they make up stories and they put them out there and then they come true. It, it's almost a little bit disconcerting. You know, here's the reality these days with um, all the, the deep fake videos and, and such blatantly biased news sources, you and I, we've got to be really careful about what we believe. We've got to check things out. We've got to uh, look a little bit deeper. Uh, even those things that we see with our very own two eyes, uh, we've, got to, we've got to think those things through and, and we've got to examine them and prove them to be what we actually, uh, what they purport themselves to be. Because I found this, it's just too easy for you and I to be fooled. You know, whether it be by the modern wonders of technology or just good old-fashioned craftiness, you and I, we're not that hard to fool. Last year, I, I saw a Christian illusionist who was amazingly good. He left a group of 40 of us absolutely befuddled scratching our heads, obsessed with trying to, to figure out how it was that he did what he did. I mean, when none of us believed that he actually did what it was that he seemed to do, and yet none of us had a clue how he was able to pull it off. Now, this guy, he, he, he was an evangelist using illusion to preach the gospel, but he made no claim of divine assistance in his illusion. And though I wasn't entirely convinced, the other guys, they told me it, it probably wasn't demonic. So we figured that it must be that he just out and out tricked us. Somehow, he was able to pull the wool over our eyes. We're not that difficult to fool. We've got to really be careful about what we believe. So that raises the question, what about all the incredible things we read about in Scripture? What about the crazy stuff that the Bible says that Jesus did? Was that just sleight of hand? Was it real? And if, if it was real... How did Jesus do it? Well, those very real questions are the subject of our passage this morning. 
Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 11, picking up where we left off last time uh, there in verse 14. So let's let's take a look at this passage together. I want to invite you to open your Bibles, find Luke chapter 11. When you do, will you do this? Will you stand with me and, and I'll read our passage. You can follow along in your own Bible. Luke chapter 11, and we are going to begin in verse 14. Luke writes about Jesus now he was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon came out, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, he drives out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. And others, as a test, were demanding of him a sign from heaven. Knowing their thoughts, he told them, Every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction, and a house divided against itself fails. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his estate, his possessions are secure. But when one stronger than he attacks and overpowers him, he takes from him all his weapons he trusted in and divides up his plunder. Anyone who is not with me is against me. And anyone who does not gather with me scatters. When an unclean spirit comes out of a person, it roams through waterless places looking for rest and not finding rest. It then says, I'll go back to my house that I came from. Returning, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and settle down there. As a result, that person's last condition is worse than the first. Let's pray. Father, uh, I ask that this morning you would minister to us by your word. You would use it, Lord, to, to grow us in faith, in our trust of you. God, I pray that we would uh, comprehend these dynamics correctly. And Lord, that we would understand the ramifications of them. Lord, I pray that we'd understand your word and that it would impact and change us. Teach us, Lord, by the work of your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You can be seated. The Bible is full. It's just chock full of incredible uh, amazing stories. But understand this. Uh, they are not just stories in the sense of being myths or fables. They are, they are presented to us very clearly as historical accounts. They're given to us not as parables that, that emphasize some spiritual truth, but rather as the evidence of the historical and factual reality of the truth claims that are made by Scripture. So their truthfulness really matters. 
It matters greatly. If they are just exaggerations of things that happened long ago, or if they are outright fabrications, deceptions, then we should reject the entire package. But if they are accurate and truthful descriptions of that which actually happened, then folks, our response needs to be this, that we would bow our stubborn hearts before Jesus and we would worship him. And dear friends, that is exactly what they are. Let's begin to take a look at this. Verse 14, now he, that is Jesus, was driving out a demon that was mute, considered to be uh, the toughest of the miraculous things, as if any miracle would be easy. Uh, but he's driving out a demon that, that caused this man to be mute. And when the demon came out, uh, the man began to speak, and the crowds were rightfully amazed. But some of them, and Matthew tells us that it was the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they said, he drives out demons by Beelzebul, a, a, a name of one of, the, uh, of one of the Canaanite gods was often used to describe Satan, the ruler of the demons. And others, as a test, were demanding of him a sign from heaven. Do something even greater, they said. So here there are three responses to this miraculous thing that Jesus did. As some concluded that what Jesus did was real, it was legit, and, and they were rightfully amazed at what they experienced. Others countered that though they could not deny that, that what they saw had really just happened, yet they said that it, it wasn't good. They accused Jesus of being an agent of evil and working some sort of twisted subterfuge. Finally, there were some others who seemed to think that, well, it was probably just a fake. And so they asked Jesus for further proof. Do something greater, something more irrefutable in the way of a sign from heaven. You know, all these groups are, are having to decide what it is that they think about what it was that they had just seen, what they had just witnessed. They had to decide what they thought about what, what Jesus had just done. And they had to decide that because they had to determine what they thought of Jesus. You see, this wasn't, this wasn't just a small issue, something to be considered lightly. It wasn't then and it isn't now. And, and the reason why is this. Jesus was not claiming to be a traveling entertainer or, or, or even a, a, some sort of a wonderful healer. What Jesus was claiming to be was God Almighty. God come in human flesh. He claimed to be the Messiah. Remember, it was just a few weeks ago that we, we looked at the announcement of his birth, announced by angels to be Emmanuel, a name which means God with us. And so whether Jesus really did this or not, it, it matters because of who Jesus claimed to be. It matters greatly whether this was real whether it was powered by evil or whether it was just a sham. You see, if what happened that day was accomplished through the power of evil, then you and I 
we should flee from Jesus because he would be seeking after our destruction. But if what happened that day was a sham, if it was all a fake, it was just sleight of hand, then you and I, we should despise and disregard Jesus. But if it was real, and I'm telling you it was, if Jesus rescued this man from the power of Satan, I'm telling you he did, then what 2 Peter chapter 1 proclaims about Jesus is its truth. He is our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is Lord of lords, and he is worthy, worthy of all of our worship and so much more. Well, there was no doubt that something happened there that day. Jesus did something. There was a man, uh, according to the parallel account recorded in Matthew chapter 12, we know that this man possessed by a demon was not only mute, but he was also blind. And this man is brought to Jesus by others because of his condition. So his friends gather around him. They bring him to Jesus because he, he is suffering terribly. And then after Jesus commands this evil spirit to release the man, this same man is no longer mute or blind. So something happened. Something happened. And so with this newly seeing and talking man as his evidence, Jesus addresses his skeptics. Look at verse 17. It says, knowing their thoughts, he told them every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction. And a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say, I drive out demons by Beelzebul. Jesus' first response here is that the accusation of the Pharisees is simply illogical. And Jesus says, you're talking, but you're not making any sense. He says this, quite simply, if Jesus were an agent of Satan, that would mean that Satan was fighting against himself. If Jesus was an agent of Satan, he certainly wouldn't be fighting against Satan. And, and that's exactly what Jesus was doing. He was actively, clearly overpowering and defeating the enemy. He was setting the captives free. He was rescuing them from destruction. This was no subterfuge. This was victory over evil. Secondly, Jesus points out that their, their objection wasn't consistent. They only had a problem because Jesus was the one who was doing it. Look at verse 19. If I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. And then he adds, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so Jesus is saying this. The only reason that you are taking issue with this is because I'm the one who's doing it because your sons, your followers, other Jews are, are, are also seeking to cast demons out and you don't have a problem with that. You only have a problem when I do it. 
you know, these Pharisees, they see themselves as the ones who are the judges or the arbiters of that which is good and that which is evil. So they look at their followers casting out demons and they say, this is a good thing. They look at Jesus doing it and they say, oh, well, it must be by the power of evil. They see themselves as being the judges, but Jesus says, no, you are being judged by the decisions you're making. Your evaluation of this situation is your judgment. He says, they will be your judges. And then Jesus says this, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, think about this, guys, he says, if I'm doing what I say that I'm doing, then God's kingdom has already come upon you. I think Jesus here is speaking to those who are, are calling for greater signs. Show us something bigger, something greater. And Jesus is saying, listen, what I've already done has shown you that I'm acting by God's power. And so even without further proof, God's kingdom has come upon you and you've missed it. You've missed it. You know, there are some people who always ask for more proof. They, they are never convinced. They, they always want another sign from God and, and they always want more evidence. Understand, God is not asking us to take a blind leap of faith. Uh, what, what the Lord is laying out for these guys and for us is a well-reasoned choice to trust him. Uh, that's how God works. We, we must put our faith in God, right? We've got to put our faith in God, but he has given us good reason to put our faith in him. And from creation that, that testifies of the goodness and the glory of God to the testimony of God's word, to, to the testimony of the Holy Spirit within our hearts, to the intervention of God within our lives. You and I, we have evidence aplenty. This is one reason why we give so much emphasis to the teaching of God's word. Scripture tells us this in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We want you to grow in your faith. We want you to grow in walking by faith. And what scripture tells us is the way we do that is by being exposed more and more to God's word, that it is God's word that causes faith to grow up within us. Well, whether that be you or I sitting under the teaching of God's word or that time alone in the word ourselves, where it's just you and the Bible and Jesus and just the Holy Spirit teaching you as you dig into his word. It is God's word that moves us forward, that challenges us and that grows us into walking by faith. Well, since this group seems to be confused about exactly what it is that has just taken place in front of them, Jesus lays it out very clearly for them. He says, here's what I've done. Look at verse 21. Uh, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his estate, his possessions are secure. So the strong man here, that's Satan. That's the enemy of our souls. And his possessions are those whom he possesses. 
But then verse 22, but when one's stronger, that's Jesus. When one's stronger attacks and overpowers, he takes from this strong man all his weapons he trusted in and divides up his plunder, his possessions. So Jesus came to defeat the enemy of our souls. Uh, that's what he's telling them. Uh, understand this, though. It's not like there was a big knockdown, drag out fight. It's not like there was some great battle that was waged. Jesus simply and overwhelmingly overpowered the enemy. You know what Jesus did by going to the cross and dying in our place? It was, it was like bringing an atomic bomb to a snowball fight. It was overpowering. It removed all of the enemy's weapons. It, it completely removed all of his power. There is no challenge in this for God. I don't think Jesus broke a sweat as he was casting out this demon. This wasn't a difficult thing for him to do. The enemy, who is very powerful compared to you or to me, he is no match for our Savior. He is powerless compared to our Savior. Now, despite the enemy's absolute defeat, his unalterable fate, there is yet a very real battle going on for the souls of men and women. Though Satan's defeat has already been unchangeably determined. Yet here in this life, the eternal fate of men and women is still in play. So this matters. It matters more than anything. Recognizing the fact that God's kingdom has come, that Jesus is Messiah, that he is our savior, that he is God in human flesh, that is the one thing that matters. Because what we believe about Jesus will determine our eternal fate. Scripture is clear about that. It is so very, very clear. There is no middle ground here. Jesus isn't just our example. He isn't just the leader of our group. He is our Savior. He is the way, the truth. The life, John 14, 6 tells us. No one comes to the Father except through him. Uh, Peter, later on in the book of Acts, he'll say this, there is no other name other than the name of Jesus by which we must be saved. Jesus is that only way which erases any middle ground. And that's what Jesus goes on to talk about here. He, he's, he's looking at the fact that we have an enemy. We have an enemy who is real and who is seeking to destroy. And therefore, we need a savior who is real and who can overpower this one who seeks to destroy us. Look at verse 24. Jesus says this, when an unclean spirit comes out of a person, now, I think there's probably one person in that crowd whose ears really perked up when Jesus said that. Maybe it was a guy who just had an unclean spirit depart from him. He's like, oh, you're talking about me. This is my situation, 
he says. He, he hears what Jesus is saying. Jesus says when an unclean spirit comes out of a person, it roams through waterless places or out through the, uh, through the vast desert, through the wilderness area, looking for rest and not finding rest. It then says, I'll go back to my house that I came from. Jesus is saying here that evil is real and that neutrality is a myth. It, it, it does not work to gain freedom from evil and then to decide just to be independent. Can you imagine hearing what Jesus is saying uh, through the ears of this man who has just been freed from the demon? Because that man has a choice, right? He's just been set free. He, all of a sudden he can talk and he can see, but he is confronted immediately with a choice. Will I become a follower of this one who everyone is telling me has set me free? Will I become a follower or will I respond that, you know what, this is nice. I like the talking thing. The seeing thing is pretty great, but let's not get carried away. I don't want to take this too far. I'll, I'll just stay neutral, maybe he says. Jesus says, no, there is no, there is no neutrality. There is no way to be free from, from the um, possession by evil and yet be independent from God himself. 1 Peter 5.8 puts it this way, your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone that he can devour. We have a very real and a very active enemy who is always looking for a victim. We may successfully remove some evil from our life on our own, but let me promise you it is only a temporary situation unless we put ourselves under the protection of the Savior. We need that one who is stronger yet to safeguard us. Otherwise, look at verse 25. That demon will return and find the house swept and put in order. And it will go out and bring seven other spirits more evil than itself. And, and they may enter and settle down there. And as a result, that person's last condition is worse than the first. And remember, Jesus tells this little story. He lays out this scenario. Well, the guy is standing right there who has just been freed. He has just had his, his life radically transformed. He's been freed from all of the problems and issues that had, had ended up bringing him to Christ. Think about that. It was all the trouble of being blind and mute that caused this man to be brought to Jesus. Isn't that true? of how you came to the Savior too, for many of us? Our lives were so messed up because of the evil that we were captive to that it brought us to the feet of the Savior. And when that stuff drops away, we're left with a choice. We can, we can go right back into it. We can remain independent. We can not get carried away. We can, we can be our own person. 
And I promise you this, your freedom will be temporary. Or we can submit ourselves to the one who is stronger. We can submit ourselves to the one who freed us. Because, dear friends, the one thing we need in this life and the one thing we must have to enter into the next is the Savior. Not just a Savior. What we need is the Savior, the one who is stronger, the one who is able. Because there is only one. It, no one else could have died for your sin because no one else was God in human flesh. It took Emmanuel. It took the the one who is sinless and perfect to be able to pay the penalty for my sin instead of having to pay the penalty for his own. That's why God did this. That's why he didn't just have some great man or woman rise up to be our leader, our guru, but rather God put on human flesh, lived without sin, and paid the penalty for sin on our behalf, in our place, upon the cross. And as we find shelter in him, as we look to him to be our protector, our savior, our Lord, we will find freedom. Freedom from the evils of this world, but even more, freedom to enter into communion, into relationship with God Almighty in the life to come. He is our Savior. He is the one that we need. You know, this morning we're going to remember that fact. We're going to remember the fact that we need Jesus and that he met our need and he met it perfectly. As we return to worship, we're going to share communion together. And communion is exactly that. It's a reminder that the Savior gave to us. We read in Scripture that, that just before he was arrested, on the very night that he was arrested, just before he was crucified, as he was gathered with his disciples and they were celebrating the Passover dinner together, that Jesus took bread. And instead of saying the things that were common to say as the tradition was of celebrating the Passover, Jesus said something different. He looked at his disciples and he said, this bread, this is my body, my body given for you. Jesus is telling his disciples something that I don't think they could have yet understood, that he would, he would sacrifice himself. He would go to the cross on their behalf, that he would die that he would experience the punishment that they deserved so that they would not have to. I'm sure they were still trying to figure this all out, still thinking about it when later on during that same dinner, Jesus then took the cup, the, the cup of redemption. And he took it and he said, this cup, this cup is the new promise of my blood. This is the promise of my life poured out. Me dying because you deserve to die so that you don't have to die. This is my blood that washes away your sin, Jesus says. And he said, do this. And as often you do it, do it to remember me. And so 
today will come to the table as we worship you'll be free to get up if you belong to christ and this is for you if jesus is your savior then this is for you come and you can take a pair of the cups there uh, the little bread nugget nested underneath the cup with the juice in it you return to your seat and you can take as much time as you want just between you and the lord to remember what it represents, to remember what it was he gave us to be reminded of that he died in your place and that his sacrifice is sufficient for you, that he has cleansed you, that he has bought you, and that you belong to him and you fall under his protection. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the cross. I thank you for Jesus. God, that he came to earth, put on human flesh, lived without sin, and yet he died to save me, to pay my debt, to purchase me for eternity. Lord, I pray that today as we worship, that we would remember. We would remember the reality of the cross. We would remember the effectiveness of the cross. That we would soak in the love of the cross. And that we would worship you because you alone are worthy of all of our worship and all of our praise. You exceed our understanding of glory, of goodness, of love. We worship you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.